Moving along in a pace unknown to man. Go, 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 go. And you thought the lions were bad. Well, they tried to kill my brothers. And for every king that died, oh, they would crown another. But it's harder than you think, telling dreams from one another. And you thought the lions were bad. Well, they tried to kill my brothers. And felt in the night by the ones you think you love. They will come for you. And felt in the night by the ones you think you love. They will come for you. Dreaming along in a pace you'll understand. Go, 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 oh, oh, oh. No, 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 no. And you thought the lions were bad. Well, they tried to kill my brothers. And for every king that died, oh, they would crown another. And it's harder than you think, telling dreams from one another. And you thought the lions were bad. Well, they tried to kill my brothers. And felt in the night by the ones you think you love. They will come for you. Felled in the night by the ones you think you love. They will come for you. Oh, to see what it means to be free of the shadows and the dreams that you claim to see. Oh, 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 and felt in the night by the ones you think you love, they will come for you. And felt in the night by the ones you think you love, they will come for you. And you thought the lions were bad, well, they. They tried to kill my brothers, and for every king they crown, oh, they will find another. And it's harder than you think, telling dreams from one another. And you thought the lions were bad, well, they tried to kill my brothers. Welcome to the die. Turn with me, if you will, if you will indulge me for a bit. The book of Daniel. And we will be starting in chapter 6. Daniel, 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 the prophet who had his name changed. And the name change was in reference to the god called Baal. And ironically enough, the name 
would be representative of God protects. Chapter 6, Daniel in the Den of Lions. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps. Now Darius is the new Babylonian ruler of Jerusalem, which was besieged during Daniel's time. These satraps are like states within a country. They are divisions. And verse 1 continues, 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. So these satraps are simply like uh, legislative bodies, divisions to really pinpoint control and administration. Verse 4, at this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel and his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it, is, it has something to do with the law of his God. So the administrators and the satraps went as a group to the king and said, O King Darius, live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or man during the next 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, O king, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the laws of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened forward toward Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or man except to you, O king, would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, the decree stands in accordance with the laws of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said, then they said to the king, Daniel, who was one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Then the men went as a group to the king and said to him, Remember, O king, that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. 
So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, O king. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Let the church say, Amen. Well, welcome back to the die, y'all. I've been gone for a minute, several weeks now, actually. Yep, yep, a brother went dark. I left you with no notice, no warning. Actually, yesterday I was gearing up for today's message and found cobwebs on the microphone. Now, that really goes against the impetus I had when I started this thing, you know, feeling all don't drop the mic kind of vibe. But sometimes life does this. Sometimes life requires this, that we go dark, that we practice silence. And it was not that the message was not there. This message God gave me months ago, but in order to deliver it, I had to practice it. It had to be cultivated, it had to be grown, but I had to practice what I was about to start preaching. And that practice has yielded some very ripe fruit. See, silence, silence is powerful. Silence is a powerful mechanism, whether voluntary or involuntary. Whether we choose to be silent and say nothing, or we have the authority, the force, to silence someone else, to quiet the mouths of many, even. In Matthew chapter 22, verse 34, Jesus had silenced the Sadducees with his reply, and he was talking about marriage, and he referenced, he said, in heaven, there is no marriage, that we humans, we become like the angels. We're married to God, pretty much. His rhetoric stumped them. It silenced them. See, there's a rhetorical strategy to silence. Communication does not always require words. We've heard actions speak louder than words. I believe inaction speaks volumes. Take, for instance, the practice of fasting. We're not necessarily praying, yielding words throughout our course of thought or verbalizing them down on our knees with our hands clasped and our eyes closed, but yet it communicates to God 
that I trust you, that I know I will survive without my routine sustenance of food. Take, for instance, abstaining from alcohol and drugs, sobriety, this inaction, this abstinence, communicates something. There are ways to persuade and communicate things without a single word ever being said. This is why we can become anguished, distressed when things are falling apart. The card did not have to tell you, even though these days they do have indicators, but it doesn't have to tell you something is wrong before it breaks down. It just breaks down. It communicates it's not functioning. A father doesn't have to say, I do not love you. He just doesn't have to come home. Someone that loses a tremendous amount of weight and transforms themselves doesn't have to tell you how much they weigh or how much they can lift, but the results of their actions and their inaction, dieting, communicates phenomenal strength in various capacities. You don't have to get the spotlight and deliver a eulogy at the funeral just for your attendance, your presence. See, those, those actions tell folks that you cared. The teardrops that stain your pillow at night or stream down your face in the shower represent catalogs of gratitude as well as regret, bereavement, frustration. Yeah, we're going to go there today. And even joy and happiness. Tears don't say anything, but they speak volumes. They speak the language of the heart. I find it interesting, referencing John chapter 19, verse 25, it says, near the cross of Jesus stood his mother and her sister, as well as Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, here is your son. Then he said to the disciple, here is your mother. So from that hour, this disciple took her into his home. He took her as his own mother, Mary, the mother of Yeshua, Jesus, the anointed Christ, the anointed Messiah, is slain, murdered, brutally tortured, crucified, and Mary says nothing on record, but she was there. Silence speaks. Move out of the way. That's my child they're killing. That's my son's blood running cold in the streets. And she didn't have to announce herself. They knew who she was. And she knew her place at the foot of the cross, saying nothing on record, but her presence was audible as it was. It spoke. It said, I was there for you in the beginning, and I'm here for you in the end. A mother's love, a mother's undying love. Silence, the state of being that's void of sound, can be a strategy of confidence, also a tool for resentment. Who hasn't experienced the silent treatment from someone? I believe that's representative as a sign of weakness and insecurity. Silence in its power can also evoke distrust. I don't know about you, but I don't particularly care for people that are a little too quiet all the time. I understand being quiet every once in a while. You know, I have my days. 
And I believe, you know, that proverb, in quietness and confidence is your strength. There's something to that, but it's the ones that are quiet all the time, like they don't speak not just English, nothing. It bothers me. It makes me itch. There's something that, that sends an alarm, like something's not connecting here. Y'all know, y'all, everyone's got somebody like that. You've seen it. So because what I've found is that those who operate with the bare minimum of communication on a regular basis are often leading a clandestine life, a life of secrecy which renders ambiguity, which, if I'm honest, it poses a bit of a threat to me because I don't know whether to be on edge around you, where your stock is at, if you are balanced or unbalanced, even or uneven. Then again, silence incorporates an illusion of mystery that can be resourceful, especially in dynamic cultures like that of work environments, corporate offices, even in self-help groups, sharing the time, not, not speaking, leaving room and time for others to share. And especially and families. One of my favorite books, maybe unfortunately for those that were around me at the time, but it rendered me some rewards, I'm, I won't lie. Uh, Robert Greene's 48 Laws of Power. It lists law number six. Now, I never really remembered all 48, but I never forgot number six. And the law of power was to create an air of mystery. And to summarize this, the short form, short form is by practicing silence and restraint, making occasional ambiguous remarks, being purposely inconsistent and appearing eccentric, you'll in turn create an unpredictability about yourself that can give you leverage by getting people to think and talk about you. It is manipulative. And it's also emotionally abusive. Lack of communication can be torturous as well as empowering. Now on the side of maturity and humility, let's say a law of understanding, a law of tolerance and acceptance, I've learned the self-analysis tool, the practice of asking myself, is what I'm saying necessary? Is what I'm about to say necessary? Does what I am about to say need to be said? Why am I speaking? But I don't want to give silence a bad rap. Sometimes it's beneficial, it's necessary to go dark, as it were. To go dark in various respects can be a mighty, mighty resource. So when we look at the word and to debrief, to recap Daniel's story, we just took chapter 6 most of it. Daniel was recruited under the Babylonian rule of Nebuchadnezzar to train in Babylon, well, in Jerusalem under the Babylonian rule. Babylon was a mighty force. They were all about these grand structures. They were egocentric, haughty, building skyscrapers. And many of us have heard how that skyscraper, this edifice that was supposed to be a ladder up to heaven, this reach into the clouds of heavens, was shaken up, and Babylon was, became this diaspora with all these different languages, confusing the people and reminding them of who the one true God really is. 
But for the recruitment, Nebuchadnezzar commanded Israelites of the royal family be brought into train. One thing I've noticed throughout studying the Bible, message by message, year after year, college course after college course, something that came to light was that these Old Testament books are not just fables. They're not for nothing. This is a genealogical history. Daniel, I never, you know, you hear about Daniel in the den, but do we talk about, he was a descendant of the royal family. And now they've been deposed, they've been exiled from Judah, besieged in Jerusalem, and now under the rule of Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel chapter 1, verse 4, this is Nebuchadnezzar's decree, command for who he's recruiting. Young men without any physical defect, handsome. Daniel was a handsome guy, good looking, showing aptitude for every kind of learning and qualified to serve the king's palace, verse 5, to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. Daniel's name was changed to Belt-Shazar, Belt-Shazar, which would mean, as we've alluded to before, protect his life. And that is homage towards the idol god Baal. Daniel's actual Hebrew name means God is my judge. Daniel chapter 1, verses 8 through 23, explain how Daniel and people that we knew as Meshach, Abednego, Shadrach, their names were changed to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, just like Daniel's name was changed. These Israelites weren't going to defile themselves by eating the food of Nebuchadnezzar and drinking the wine. Yeah, you recruited us, but we know who we are. So Daniel, and we see favor throughout his story. We just read about favor under Darius, but we see it start with a guard who was guarding him. And Daniel consults with him, and he says, look, we're not going to defile our bodies with this unclean food, this meat. So just feed us vegetables. Now, it's interesting because for one, God laid this message on my heart months ago. But during the month of May, well, towards the end of April, I hit a roadblock, I'm not going to lie. Working out, dieting, uh, a new career developing, and I knew something had to give because I was firing on all cylinders. But was I willing to change? So I said, okay, we're going to go try a meatless, some people say meatless Monday. I said, let's go meatless May. I never really did that to my body. I, I can't remember a time where I didn't eat meat. And like Daniel, within 10 days, I saw outstanding results, not only in my physical demeanor, but also in my mood, in my mentality. So who knows? Maybe something will be on the way uh, as I continue this journey. Now, don't get me wrong. You know, it was a Friday night a couple of weeks in, and I was at the grocery store, and, you know, I saw some salmon. I said, you know what? It's Friday. I ain't drinking, I don't smoke weed, don't do any of that no more. We're going to have some meat. We're going to enjoy ourselves. Well, and then I cruised over to the red meat. I saw they had some carne asada on sales. Let me, let me grab some of this because I'll need it for Saturday too. And then I moseyed on. They had some buy one, get one free picnics packs of uh, chicken. Now, y'all know grocery prices have been up, so a brother... Next thing I knew, I'd been eating meat for about a week and a half and put back on the weight. 
and also didn't feel too good. So by the time God laid into me on delivering this message, like now come forth, now bring it. It's been a month, a month of silence, not, not uh, creating episode every, every weekend per usual, but hunkering down, studying, getting certifications, excelling, showing my capacity, my aptitude, and fasting in preparation for these difficult exams proved well. So after 10 days, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, they proved healthier and 10 times better, and the Bible says, in every matter of wisdom and understanding. Daniel chapter 6, you know, Jerusalem is still being ruled by the Babylonians, and Nebuchadnezzar falls, another king falls, Darius arises, and still Daniel has favor with Darius. Daniel's a prophet, and he's been interpreting dreams for the kings. He clearly has got something going on that these other elites, these other administrators, these other leaders don't have. And he stays true to his God. It's interesting because I never really recognized until I reviewed this, until God brought me to it this time, that Daniel kept on praying three times a day, windows open. Darius admired Daniel and tried to save him. He exhausted himself to the end of day for as long as he could. Now this is foreshadowing the Pontius Pilate attempting to pardon Jesus. Jesus wasn't the only one being tried. There was actually somebody else, Barbaras. And Pilate made every effort. Pilate knew who Jesus was because his wife had had a dream and the dream communicated to her that Jesus was innocent. And she told Pilate. And so when Pilate asked the people, really, are you sure you want to crucify this man? Daniel was like Jesus, falsely accused of doing wrong. According to the Gospel of Mark, Pilate came to the defense of Jesus before yielding to the desire of the crowd. And it really takes me back to my favorite painting. This is called Ecce Homo, which is Latin for Behold the Man. I was looking for God. I lived abroad in Italy, and I would go to these museums with the beautiful Renaissance art. So much detail, so much vibrance, so much power. Much of it depictions, illustrations of these, this chronology in the Bible, these moments. And I stepped into this room in the P.T. Palace, a palace where royals would live, the walls glistening gold. But there was this mural almost, took up the whole wall. And next thing I know, I'm standing 
behind Jesus with Pilate. And all I can see is the back of Jesus, the back of his head, the back of Pilate, the back of his head. But what I, the faces I can see are that of the crowd that are screaming, crucify him. The same ones that were shouting Hosanna when he came in riding on a donkey are now screaming, crucify him. Behold the man. Are you sure this man, this is the one that you want to kill today? Daniel, falsely accused. Like Jesus, we read about that stone being placed over the lion's den entrance foreshadowing the stone that would be rolled over the tomb Jesus was placed in in hopes that the situation would remain unchanged. It doesn't matter how big the stone, how big the block, how heavy, how many rings it takes to seal it. No one can stop the power of God. God's favor expands deep into the lion's den, past the walls of stone and will forever protect the righteous, the ones with whom he loves, the ones he can trust his mother with. So we have Daniel thrown in the den, a stone placed over it, just as a stone would be placed over the tomb of Jesus in generations to come. And Darius could not sleep. He didn't want any, any entertainment. He didn't want to eat. He didn't feel right about what was going on. But the Bible makes no mention, just like it made no mention of Mary saying anything at the foot of the cross. It makes no mention of Darius hearing the screams of Daniel in pain as he's devoured. It makes no mention that that's what was keeping him up. I believe it was the silence. It was the silence and Darius being left with his own thoughts, with his own actions, being left with himself that left him tossing and turning while Daniel locked away in the lion's den. But we see chapter 6, verse 21, God sent an angel to shut the mouths of the lions. Silence. God sent an angel to silence the lions, to shut their mouths. It was the silence of the lions that represented the credibility of Daniel's God, our one true God. See, it wasn't that they didn't moan and groan the lions, they didn't rumble or roar, but their inaction the action that they couldn't take, the devouring of Daniel that they couldn't do, spoke volumes. So what happens when God goes dark on us? What happens when we encounter dead air and the meditations are static, the prayers seemingly left unheard? I believe the silence of God when we go from message after message, download of word after download of word, podcast after podcast, episode after episode, to quiet, to stillness, to the deafening sound of silence. 
These times beckon faith. These times beckon resilience. Beckon reliance on what we already know. I know I went dark because I had to study. I had to get my professional weight up. For me, studying requires constant review. Before we move any further, do you understand what has already been laid out? Because ain't no need in advancing you to algebra if you don't understand addition. If we can't do simple division. See, let's really make sure our foundation is solid before we continue to move on. It's amazing what furnishes out of the silence of meditation. I have found a great resolve in transcendental meditation. Questions in my life that were so trying and antagonizing. In simple quietness and stillness, I found strength and answers simply by quieting my mind and allowing alternatives to, to surface. I heard him say that the revolution will not be televised, but we all know we certainly heard about it. See, silence speaks. The impact, the ripple affect of silence talks so loud. From no birthday wishes on social media, to no Christmas cards in the mailbox, to know that your loved one is graduating from high school, a child you helped raise and yet received no invitation to the commencement ceremony. See, it's the one who didn't ask you to prom. It's the elephant in the room we are all glossing over. It's your leaving me unread that tells me, that showcases your concern for me, or better yet, the lack thereof. But oftentimes, I really don't know what's going on. Maybe you got your hands full. Maybe you don't know how to say what you're feeling. Maybe you're kind of embarrassed by me because of my sexuality or my lifestyle or my faith or my podcast. Maybe it's not all about me. The good news is God is not us. God, the ultimate multitasker. Actually, the concepts of tasks are derivative of human nature. I don't believe God multi-does anything because God, they are everything. Everyone, all at once. Great movie, by the way. It's us that need the orientation of priorities, the scheduling of tasks, not God. For that matter, we are blessed to operate, live, and experience a system of order here on Earth. The clouds and sunset sky says nothing and screams all at the same time. Silence speaks. No thunder, no sound of raindrops hitting the Earth, but the beauty of it, the magnificence says something. It says something about this life, about these moments. It begs the question, if we can experience and behold such beauty, such natural wonder here in this life, then how glorious is heaven really going to be? Feels like heaven is already here. Is this possible on earth as it is in heaven? On earth as it is in heaven. Silence speaks. 
So maybe it's not about me being quiet. But the lions in the den that I got thrown into. Maybe it's about them being shut up. Maybe it's about my enemies that got silenced. Maybe it's about the passing of a test to where I don't need to say anything. But my peers, my colleagues, they know. Because the score, the grade speaks. Maybe it's not about the words that come out of my mouth specifically, but about my consistency, about how I show up day in and day out. Or maybe it was about the time when I didn't show up for weeks, and yet I'm still here. Silence speaks. Maybe it's the siblings, the sisters that don't talk to each other anymore. Maybe it's not about them, but rather about their their children that don't understand what's going on between their mothers. Maybe it's about what really kept the father away from coming back home, from being in his son's life. And yet the son is left with questions unanswered, with feeling unloved and abandoned, because silence speaks. Maybe it's no reply to my text messages. And yet, when we're around other people, you act like you've known me your whole life. That we're buddies, ride or dies. And yet, your silence on an interpersonal level speaks volumes. There is a balancing act that I pursue because I don't want to leave this world knowing that if it should have been me to turn it over, I'll turn over every stone. I want to be as loud as possible, as loud as I can, for as long as I can be, if it be God's will. I don't believe I was given a voice for no reason. I don't believe God allowed me to obtain a microphone and the skill set to developing, producing, receiving a message and transcending it over the airwaves on a podcast for no reason. But I respect the practice of withdrawing, of pulling back, of pacting temperance, abstinence, of silence, and letting the voice of God, which speaks through so many languages, of presence, of miracles, of could have been me's, of should have been another way, of why am I still here, why did I get pardoned, of it doesn't make sense. The God I serve I know speaks to me through coincidence. I don't believe they're by happenstance. I believe they're communicating to me that there's a grand plan to all of this. As we depart from here today, I pray that we take with us the influence, the power, the gift of silence, and maybe not our own, but of those trying to devour us for being right. We haven't heard what the angel told David, but something, his surviving the night in that den is representative that God sent something there. Something happened to them lions. 
And because of that, I have a destiny today. I have a vision today. I can see something I've never seen before with eyes of like flames and a face like lightning adorned in white linen, a gold belt of magnificence over the water of the river. And so no matter what happens to me, when I do go to sleep and this physical voice falls silent, I pray that my legacy speaks. I pray that how I live echoes in the chambers of eternity as long as we abide on this earth and that all in all, it was for God's glory. It was for the manifestation of heaven here on earth. In quietness and confidence in that quietness is our strength. Go in peace. Again, thank you so much for joining us here on The Die. If you'd like to follow us on Instagram, get in touch, keep up with the latest episodes, we're on anchor.fm slash the die. Also on Instagram, the underscore die, D-A-I underscore podcast. You can email me at writersvassistant at gmail.com. Stay tuned, stay blessed, and keep your peace, even in silence. Ciao.